you ready for this? We're here! Hi, what's your name? I'm Joe Fowler. Hi, I'm Ron Popeil. Joe's anybody? Hi, what's your name? I'm Tom Purvis, trainer to the trainers. And Hi, I'm Mike Levy. Hold on to your power rod. But wait. What are you doing? Call now. Call now. Call now. Call now. Call or log on now. Call now. Call right now. Call in the next 18 minutes. Call in the next 16 minutes. Call in the next 7 minutes. Call these numbers right now. Hello and welcome to Call Now, where we plunge headfirst into the surreal world of infomercial. And while we can't offer you free shipping, we can guarantee that the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are definitely those of this network. Thank you, Tim. My name's Dan Sturdivant. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host on this three-man we've known as Call Now. Whew, you know, he got his tickets on pre-sale. We got Mark Pajarati. Hello, Mark. I'm doing great. Because I'm related to the Morris family. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I hope you're on the mm-hmm. hope you're on the Nat side of the train, because it's our fan favorite in the front row, Dave Sandrini. Hello, Dave. I got my goobers. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I mean, so think of it this way. If podcast episodes were years <laughs> of human age, our podcast could rent a car in most states. Because yeah. it's Ooh. our 25th episode. Big two five. That's awesome. I'm getting a Sebring. <laughs> I take it. That's sensible. That's a reasonable decision. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Mike Levy had three Sebrings, but to spice it up, he had a Solara convertible. It was used, but it was it was loaded. Then he lit a fire on it. <laughs> That's spoiler alert. Alright. Alright. Mm-hmm. So to commemorate such an incredible accomplishment, we thought it was appropriate to celebrate by going to the movies. Woo! It sounds safe. We're having a good time. And listen, put my glasses on. Yeah. I know infomercials like anyone who grew up in a dysfunctional house in a remote area with no friends within walking or biking distance and no internet, <laughs> no cable television, and untreated mental illness. I mean, that's you know, that's my corner, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but when it comes to the bright lights, when it comes to the cinema, I mean I know that's an area where I ought to pass the torch. And there is none more qualified than resident DGA member and cinephile without the cinephilia, Dave Sandrini. So, Dr. Dave, please be our Sherpa. Lead us through the magic of this evening's events. The floor is yours. Before I jump into the big jump in, I think we have to really treat Dan sort of as the expert here, because as I'm watching this... No, I know. But like, as I'm watching this, I'm like, man, Dan really did watch way more of these than we did. God, now Tuxedo seems kind of fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not in the red kind of. No. But again, that's why I think we should have done it. It's a very special week. We took a detour from our regularly scheduled programming for a peek behind the curtain of The Pitch Man, or Pitch Woman, or Pitch Person. We watched the 1999 Jeez. documentary Pitch People a movie that documents the nature and origins of this business that obviously I think Dan was way more familiar with than Mark and I were, which we needed to remedy. And I'm happy that we did it. We all try to give these bizarre shows a fair shake, which we say all the time. And watching this gives you that and more. At 25 episodes, yay! it felt like the right time for us to dig a little deeper. So guys, I was pretty blown away by this. I thought that I was going to be interested. I thought I was going to get some good facts. But it flew by for me. What did you guys I think? I feel bad for any time I've made fun of a pitch person. Me now. too. Like, uh, yeah, write Jay are... Moeller a fucking letter. You're a I dick. I know. I Cold know. Bow. 
And yeah, Bo. But... <laughs> no, actually, Bo's not in this. And Ron Ron decided not to be in this thing, so kind of screwed yep. him as well. It's complicated. You know, it's, yeah. it's complicated. This was incredible. It was like, from a film perspective, the way it just like, it built up the history of it. And then, it, you know, by the end of it, you're getting to know people through interviews. And then you see how television took over the pitch and the product. It was really well done this is something i, I definitely am going to watch again and not because of this podcast we do it's just because i think it was such an interesting part of america and, and england for the past hundred years and further yeah one of the guys says he's like it's the second oldest profession you know right. what the first one was and mm-hmm. yeah i, I think that's 100 percent right and they mentioned like the as soon as the concept of barter existed if you mm-hmm. boil it down to that in a sense it's evolutionary right mm-hmm. someone needed something and they had the desperation and the desire to be like, I have to do whatever it takes to move this to get what I need. And that over time evolved into people who were like, I need money. And then people who were able to keep putting that sauce on it, who had the yeah. pizzazz, the panache, the ability to sling it, the ability to go through Aida. You know, you get mm-hmm. the the attention, the interest, and you're starting mm-hmm. to you know really get people into making those decisions to move their money from their bank account to yours or in most instances a couple bills at a time like it's it's a grind was the thing that really resonated with me was hearing the war stories from the ones who made it to tv mm-hmm. and also some of the ones who didn't or don't or never would you know to a degree it's kind of an illness right where it's like these guys are wired to do this i'm sure they could sell almost anything but this is different this yeah. isn't mortgages. This isn't stocks at its prime. Cars. It's not cars. Yeah. It's a very distinct showman's aspect. And I loved the knife when Arnold was talking about Arnold Morris about being an actor. He's like, and I don't I don't get applause. My applause is when they reach in their pockets and hand me the money. I said, I did a good acting job. I did a good job. And then I do it again. It's like, and mm-hmm. then you do it. And like that was the thing that stuck with me is and then you do it again, which doesn't quite come through in most TV infomercials or to the same degree as when you hear about like how it got to that point. And then it's something that you've referenced before too, is the live pitches that you've seen, which is just kind of a flavor of what it actually is, like yeah. for, for all that to come together. And I, I love that there's two moments more, I think, where they kind of show you a beginning to end pitch, maybe not totally but it's so good. And, you know, you want to criticize these things for being them selling these stupid things, but then it's cutting to the people's faces and like, they're not that expensive. Most of these things, mm-hmm. they're dying. Like they think it's the funniest thing. And they're just like, they have this look. There's this one cutaway to this kid who looks like he's, I don't know, between 17 and 20. And he just has this look on his face. Like I was never going to stop and listen to this. And now I'm hypnotized. You know, <laughs> it was, it was great. It's so funny. You're talking about the salsa guy, right? Jerry Mascuzio. Yeah, yeah man. I was. Yeah, yeah. He I love that I, guy. I finally get why it's like, why are these things always priced at 19.99? Why are they always priced at like bills that you have in your wallet? But this is their pitch is like, dude, just a $20 bill. Just throw a $20 bill. You get this thing right now. This thing goes for $25 on TV. Yeah, in the dollar and fifty cents change for tax. I'll throw in a separate set of blades, a whipping blade. You also get the recipe book. If you walk away now, you're not getting the recipe book. It's like, oh man, this guy. Yeah, and that one mm-hmm. is so doable. Like three and a half straight minutes of they stay with his whole pitch end to end. Yeah. Starting with 
the clean salsa spinner to going all the way through to getting to the to asking for the money. To the cutaways of people walking away and pulling them back in. Yep. Don't let her walk away. Bring her back here. Buy her one of these. Yeah. The urgency is in the easy way to say it. And like any sales, I think, is like this where you sort of guilt yourself into buying something. Yeah. You make the decision, but you're kind of trying to be part of the audience and be part of the whole gig. Like they're creating this theater. They're not actors. They're not musicians. They're this other weird thing. And, you know, they're definitely giving them money for the entertainment as well as the product. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. I love that. Like, I didn't know before this that Ed McMahon was slinging shit on the boardwalk. Right? Amazing. It's, that's how he got started. And then they show the clip from Carson where he still has the the Morrismatic slicer. And he just bop, bop. Like, it's ingrained in them. Parkin? Oh, that guy's great. Yes. Yeah. He remembered that thing from like 15 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. Those guys who are just able to, like, it is drilled in right because that's a big part of it is the repetition and any good speech i've ever given has always been where i think of it like memorize it as a story like if you just think of it as a story that you're telling you don't have to look at anything so it's like the part of your brain you have to trick and i think that's the key to a good pitch is you're not reading you're not remembering everything you just know it like in these guys i think there's a gift to be able to do it and that combined with the reps that it takes to even be able to get enough money to buy your dinner at night for the ones who are like on the circuit mm -hmm. that you can't help but be great at it after some time. If you're just running through it and just banging through, you know, each beat and all the things you pick up from like the multiple sessions of like, what were the questions that you asked? Like you're just constantly refining things. And we think about it in kind of that entertainment lens it's somewhat like a, a ruder version of stand-up where... I was going to say the exact same thing. They're not just telling you that they didn't like it. They didn't like what you said so much is that they're not even going to give you the few bucks that you were charging for the show, right? Mm -hmm. And you get a parting gift. It's like, I'm good. Like yep. that's, that takes some stones to, to hang in the pocket and, and earn your keep that way. That's bananas. You can't be unlikable, right? right. It's different. Like yeah. these guys can't be unlikable. Right. They can't, they, you could not survive. Yeah. The price of admission doesn't go to these guys. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they don't eat off the door. <laughs> They're peeing to be there too. Before we go crazy, let's just lean directly into the pitch. We got the road shows, world's fairs, the a legendary Atlantic City Pier. Asbury Park. The first takeaway is the pitch itself, which we could spend the entire show talking about this. So let's just get down to some of the nitty gritty. I mean, the characters in it and the details. There's a part in it where I think it's Jan Muller who says they would go to an event like the Big E and you set up a tent in this giant booth and you're going from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. It's just you. Like maybe some of them have a helper who can kind of do interim stuff, but I think it's basically one pitch man from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and maybe you eat lunch behind your curtain at some point. And she says, you better be just as good at 10 p.m. as you are at 10 a.m. because the flow of foot traffic might be that, right. that one hit. Yeah. Doesn't it seem like, the way that she explained that, it seems like in the middle of the day there is lulls always because there's people waiting, and then there's obviously people scrambling probably to get out of these events. I bet you they deal with a lull in the middle of their freaking day every time. Mm -hmm. And at different times too, right? Yeah, at different times. Like you, you can't, can't prep, prep for, for it. it. You can't be like, all right, all right, I'm getting my break coming up. Nope. <laughs> Imagine yeah. a musician that had to deal with that. Yeah. Go yeah. out for a show and they're like, well, I don't know what time I go on, but I just have to like 
sit up here noodling for a while until the fan show. It's like, how do you get up yeah. for that? Yeah, and it's one or the other. It's yeah. like more binary. It's like you're playing to an empty audience. It's like, whatever, I get a rep in, in front of three people versus a packed house or something. The really interesting thing to me was them doing when it's sort of a steady flow and they're like, damn, nobody's hit by booth. And you have to do it with nobody there and then sort of attract people. And then like those little like pull you in those fishing reel bits and then you go into the pitch just like the kind of instinct to be like oh i got enough now i'm gonna go well that was like the guy who talked about ada like it's a scientific somewhat Mm -hmm. technique right and like it it even applies to like the people in malls who are in the kiosk in the middle and i can't recall ever stopping to buy anything at a kiosk that didn't intentionally go there to buy but he's like the people who are there should be doing this is what he was saying It's it's foot traffic all day like, that's mm-hmm. what you need to be doing. You have to grab their attention. And then once you've got their attention, once you get the bit out there, then you have to pivot over to the product. You have to make sure that they can see what this is. You have to demonstrate it and then get them to their action to make them want to do something. And like the Jerry Mascuzio bit that they show the full thing end to end, which is awesome. It starts with him just like calling some guy, sir, sir, you're looking the wrong way. Pay attention. Now, folks, when you have a, it's just like, oh, it's like, it's funny. Like when he kind of like steps outside and yells at somebody a little bit, you're oh, if you were walking He's by here. and you know he calls yeah. you out, you'd freeze. You'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. everyone's looking at me. All right, what's up? Like, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, I think that's got to be the comedian aspect of it. It's like, hey, buddy, I have done this a million times and people have been way more distracting than you are. Yeah. And I've dealt with it every time. Because yeah. it's like any customer service thing. It's like, yeah, 85% of the time, everyone's the same. And then 15% yeah. of the time, anything can happen. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. And they must have seen it all. Yeah. You cut your finger yeah. off. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Did it blow your guys' mind to think of the family aspect? Like pitchmen and RVs, the pitch culture, yeah. and like, you know, they're going back at 10, yeah. drinking beer, like making a barbecue and doing it again the next day. Yeah, they had to have been nuts. I wasn't surprised by that. They started out talking about how the medicine salesmen, they were gypsies. They come into town. They come together. Mm-hmm. They leave together sort of thing. So like, I think the culture's always kind of been there for carnivals and pitch people and any sort of roadshow sort of thing. So I wasn't surprised by that. I was happy yeah. that they do that. There's got to be a level of camaraderie that you don't even understand when you're in here. Yep. You're probably bumping into people that you met different states at different parts of the year and seeing them again. And I think it's got to be a cool... Stressful, but cool yeah. to have a crew, right? Yeah. Take some Maverick, you know? Yeah, I loved when they were talking about the way it used to be, like the origin stuff you're talking about, mm. and basically how they would, they'd pull up their little carnival, their medicine wagon, whatever, and they'd make a deal with the sheriff. Like, all right, yeah, you let us park here. Oh, yeah. Yep. You don't lock us up. We'll give you a cut. And they're always like, okay. When the guy was going through this, he's talking through the process of what it took for them to negotiate that and then talking to the officer and getting in and out and stuff Mm -hmm. and saying that there's a special nut on the wagon and you know this is a term they still use today called getting a nut and i was like is this guy fucking with us like i know i know yeah (laughs) is that like slang he's like so it's called getting a nut off getting off the nut i think off the nut but it sounded yeah we couldn't hear it that way obviously yeah he's like there's still a term that's used in the business called getting off the nut and i was like that term's used in another business, too. <laughs> it's actually in the first most popular, the original line. Yeah, the, the yeah. original profession. Yeah. I'm like, uh... That, the original, <laughs> that was like one of ten guys guy Chet, and ladies the writer, yeah. that had intimate knowledge of the history of the pitch, which also blew me away. 
they're like, this isn't new. It wasn't like they were cutting back to one historian that knew this stuff. All of them, or a lot of them anyway, had this really good history of what it meant to be a medicine man or a a pitch man, which I thought was really cool. Somebody said pitch people, pitch men were from England. They started in England, Mm -hmm. which I didn't know. The knife threw them the credit, but none of the Brits took the credit. Yeah, they didn't. Yeah. But I was like, no, like the pitch man probably started everybody thinks forever from the very it's beginning been around forever in some mm-hmm. form or fashion yeah that rung more true not to discredit mm-hmm. arnold morris because who the hell am i but i think it's more like maybe pitching in its current form is like what he was talking about right like more of like the carnival barker style the adaptation of the fair style pivoting tv and like the more organized form of it where i think historically it's always been around it had to have been because yeah. that's the logical evolution of how you negotiate, right? Or like how you can move shit. How else do you do it? Like if everyone else is trying to get rid of their stuff and if you can be a flash man and get people to get your stuff out first, you're better off. Like you can move on sooner. Like you can feed your family sooner. Like that's it. Like Jan said. <laughs> that's why I think the pitch man or pitch person was the first profession because how are you going to sell an escort? Yeah. Yep. Sales was the first thing to do it. Sales before the product. You don't have the product until you give them. That's right. That's the original pitch. Yeah. <laughs> As one of my earliest bosses said, who was the most artsy fartsy person ever, I was like complaining about something. And I'm like, I, don't, I just don't think I like sales. And he goes, you better wake up. Everything's sales. <laughs> yep. yep. It might not be in your title, but it's very important. <laughs> it don't matter. Yeah. I had this written down because I was just curious, but how long do you think an average pitch is for these guys at these events? Four? Eight minutes? Five? Something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think that? The, the Jerry Muscuzzi one we saw was like three and a half or four minutes. I think mm-hmm. it depends on the product. How mm-hmm. much do you need to demonstrate it to make your point kind of thing? And you also don't want to burn too much time. And I think it also depends on the speed of foot traffic. Yeah. If people are cranking yeah. through... And that's one of the things that the guy was saying too, is like, you don't always get to the price at the same point in your pitch. Like you sense it, you get the build of people are like, I want this. And sometimes you just got to go. And I loved the numbering people thing. I'd never noticed that. Demand, right? What was that, Dan? So basically at some point in the pitch, a lot of them will say, and listen, I can do this for, he's like, I did this for seven people or I can do it for six or seven this time around. Okay. You're number one. Okay. You're number one. And so like that person like moves up. They're like, okay, I'm number one. Oh, wow. Yeah. You've yeah. been numbered. You're like, okay, I'm in. So like that person's already sold. Number one, I can only do this for another handful of people. Remember you get, and you're banging out the reasons why you're number two, three, four, sir, don't let her walk away. She's number five. How many do you need folks? To, and it's just like, bup, 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 and you're numbering people. And one of the things I learned <laughs> from the combination of watching this and then also listening to Ron's book, uh, listen to his audio book, Salesman of the Century, where he talks about doing the same thing both at these types of shows and when he was at Woolworth. And he was like, one of the key aspects of this is making sure that you have some carryover from one group to the next. So you want to make sure some a couple people get left out. Uh, so they're yeah. there at the front. Yeah. Because they're like maybe on the fence at that point, right? And they need to see it and one And then time. they're like, I didn't get one. And then yeah. the next wave comes in behind them. He's like, all right, folks, just need you to hang out for another couple of minutes. Once we get started and he sees enough people, he goes, okay, you're number one. And the woman's like, yes. Oh, and like, so everyone else sees this woman just hear that she's called number one. They're like, what is she so excited about? And he's like, all right, folks, I'm going to show you the most fabulous chopper you're ever going to see in your entire lives. Now, Carol knows all about it. That's why she's number one. Brenda, you're number two. And who wants to be number three? Three? Okay, perfect. Now let's explain to you folks. It's like, yeah. oh shit. So like that numbering scheme is a way that you kind of 
work to turn over your audience without ever being naked. You don't turn yeah, everyone yeah. away. You can't yep. sell to everyone either. That's the important part of it. So if you get to that number that you're expecting to hit, they can bring three other more people over exactly. and be like, hey, I missed out on this, but come check it out with me. Yeah. And then you just got more numbers. Or like if you're walking by and you see someone's just like, wait, I don't get one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different turn that I never considered is like, Oh, I always thought it was just like, oh, I can only sell 10. It's like, well, I can see the whole stack. You want to get rid of all of them, right? It's like a car dealership. Mm -hmm. You'd rather me buy a car. I know that. <laughs> yeah. But it's, no, it's urgent because this is the deal. This is the deal I'm doing for people. It's like, anyone can buy these for $29.95 and $5 S&H. But if you do it now, here, if you're mm -hmm. number six, or yep. that part of it being a hook and getting people to continue the sales process for you is the part that had never occurred to me. And I think that's partially because that's so specific to the live portion of it where you yeah. have people turning over. I know it's a big influence on a lot of these guys for like price slashing stuff that we always see in the add-ons and the, but wait, there's mores of the world that fold into a lot of the shows we watch. But this being like the truest organic form of that and then the logic behind it of you're calling out those numbers to help increase the interest of, you know, not just those two people that you're carrying over, but the fact that you're always going to have people to restart the show mm. is kind of a way to kind of build in those natural transitions after you've, you've gotten to the monkey a couple times. The environment that these are in are nuts. Nobody yeah. knows what they want when they walk into this. They yeah, just know going there for this. No, <laughs> they just know they want they just want I want dot, a dot, big dot. beer. I want a beer on a lanyard, preferably in a piece of footwear. And bacon, bacon something for sure. I want bacon wrapped on something I haven't had before. <laughs> I want a pizza with a different meal on top of it. Bad indigestion. I want to pay for this tomorrow. I want to find I'd the bathroom like some... first and foremost. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm going to be using them. Yeah. I would also like, <laughs> I would also like an interesting bargain. It's like, well, now that I've had a couple of brews, I think I'm qualified to make some business decisions. What do you have, sir? Like, that's the other part of this, too. Yeah. They don't talk about that. But, like, they're in a jovial atmosphere, which I yep. think is kind of duh. Yeah. No, people are here because they're, they're having a good time. They're here to spend money. This is an event. And just being there, just hawking something that's going to make your life better. It's got to have a guarantee. It's got to be solving problems. Mm -hmm. They're open. They must have had so much juice doing those things. And yeah. it makes a lot of sense when they start talking about you have to love your product obviously like you're sitting with it all day that was a really interesting thing that they said that it's like i looked at some of those and i'm like yeah like who really cares and then some of the infomercials sure that's fair but for these guys who are doing this all day long you better have yeah. loved that product like if someone weaseled their way into a booth and like shouldn't have been there they might that must have been the talk of the day right if they were just like oh yeah the pros just being like yeah you see the guy with the plastic scalpel it's like this guy's gonna be dead before lunch that one iron kid i don't think would doing too great oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i yeah. saw an iron and i was like is this guy even selling an iron because he's like talking about other shit yeah right yeah 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 how about arnold talking about did his dad make him do a pitch and he yeah. just like cried i was like whoa yeah. i was like that's, would, that's they, crazy he would make him pitch in front of him and he'd be like, oh, I'll be there to answer any questions. And then every time you ask him a question, he'd call him out in front of everybody. Yep. Yeah. The gadgets were in the front of the store. The jewelry <laughs> store is back. So I'd pitch for an hour. Then I'd go in the back of the jewelry store, cry for an hour, pitch for an hour, cry for an hour. I made a lot of mistakes, but I never made the never same made mistake twice. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah. And there's a little bit of backstory to that too. So his and Lester's dad, Nat Morris, was 
one of the first people who got into, you know, being a pitch man to mm-hmm. a degree. Like he was at the, the World's Fair, I think it was 39, pushing the glass knife. Glass knife, yeah. And then when he got back to Asbury Park, he developed a fear of traveling mm-hmm. and he wouldn't leave Asbury Park without a doctor. Oh, whoa. So weird. But he was also, when, when times were tough, he yeah. took that to his health too, right? Nervous breakdown. Yeah, like nervous breakdown. Like yeah. Arnold cured it by selling 10,000 knives. <laughs> yeah. Arnold, shout out Arnold. He's great. He's awesome. Amazing. He's incredible. Yeah. So perfect transition. We're the best. We're professional broadcasters. We need to talk about Ron. Who? Never heard of him. Ron Popeil, the lip smacker. Right. Dan. Hey, turn them off. Turn them off. Dan mentioned it. Get him out of here. Before. <laughs> right. I think it was before. Dan goes, we'll talk about Ron's absence in the doc after we all watch it. Like very mysteriously. And I was like, oh, whatever. And then you're watching it and you're like, wait a minute. They talk about Ron for like 20 minutes and bow to him. He's revered amongst everybody. But Ron doesn't show up in the documentary. Time keeps ticking and Ron is not there. I'm like, yeah. is there another full movie about Ron? I know some of the backstory, right? So Ron has his own book, right? He has Salesman of the Century. But Ron and his family, it's a bad relationship. And he talks about it in in Gladwell's book, too, and What the Dog Saw, where he talks about kind of Ron's origin story of being a kid who, at three years old, was sent to boarding school with his older brother and never saw his parents. Like, they didn't come. And Ron talks about specifically the day that the parents were supposed to come. And he knew they weren't going to come, but he still went outside and just, like, stared out at the road waiting for them to come, and never came. Whoa. And even as he grew up and got older, he didn't see his dad again until he was 13, and it was only a business relationship with his father because S.J. Popeil, his dad, was in the same business as Nat Morris. So I think him and Arnold might be second cousins, technically something like that, but it's like the Morrises and Popeils are blood relatives. Mm -hmm. And basically there was some rifts between Seymour, S.J. Popeil, and Nat mm-hmm. Morris, there was some back and forth about some patent stuff, too, between the families, which was weird, and went to court, and uh-huh. then ended up being settled after a, after a heart attack. With the kids being like, yeah, we're, we don't care. Yeah. yeah. For the most part. What it seemed like, right? Yeah. Right. But even so, with all that being said, like, Ron feels no association to his family. He feels no obligation, love, or anything for them. And that's the difference, right? So, like, with Lester, like, the Morris family, like, you tell, like, Lester and Arnold, even though they were never in the same shot, because they probably don't live in the same area, like, they both talk about their brothers, they talk about their dad, it's like, yeah, you know, our dad is a little bit nuts, but it's the family business, it's in our blood. All in the game, yeah. Shared, shared credit all around. Yeah. yeah. They talk about Ryan, like, yeah, Ron's the best, but, like, he's Ron. And when Ron talks about it, he's like, I did this all myself. You know, his big thing was pitching at Woolworths. He got in there, and... He was buying products from his father. It was a business relationship. That's the department store, in right there. Chicago, right? Yeah. 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 Woolworths in Chicago. It was the you know the highest yielding Woolworths in the country at the time. The manager of that Woolworths was the highest earning Woolworths manager in the country and took a limo to work every day. <laughs> and that guy would Damn. take people on tours of the store and look down at Ron by the makeup counter and say, that kid makes more money than I do. Because Ron talks about the deal that he cut with that guy. He was paying the guy a percentage of what he sold, but it was such a small percentage, he was just just killing it. Like, Ron was making $500 a week, and his rent was 90 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Like, that kind of money. When yeah. he was, like, 19. So, the relationship with his father was, his father sold him the kitchen gadgets he made and manufactured, but sold them at wholesale. <sighs> he gave Ron no discount. His son. Not a penny off. 
Wow. And like throughout their lives, it remained a business relationship. And His dad was, was kind of a salesman, but not like Ron, right? He was, right? He was in the same way that Nat Morris was, but they were more in like the inventor, like inventor, developing yeah. gadgets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he was more in like the development, yeah. manufacturing, get it out there, where the, the boys, Lester, Arnold, and Ronnie were more about slinging it. Yeah. And there's a great story that took place at the Big E where <sighs> Ron, Arnie, and a third guy went head-to-head for a day, Ooh. selling the same thing, oh, different wow. parts of the fair. Who won? And it was just like, let's see who's the fucking best. Who do you think won? The Ron. salesman of the goddamn century won. It said, they said it was close. They said he beat Arnie by maybe a couple hundred bucks. What were they selling, though? He's not outselling knives on Arnie. Listen. It's Ron. You think so? If we don't respect Ron, we're doomed to repeat History Channel. <laughs> Can I say one more thing? Yeah, of course. This is an epiphany. Is that why he went Ronco and never put Popeil into his name? Because he, he wanted to separate himself from family, blood, like Oh, yeah, name. maybe. Ron Co. to do that. Probably. A little bit. To start his own thing. I think it was also marketing. Like, it was also, like, Ronco Pops. From Ronco. And, like, and he talks about in his book about working with his business partner on that sort of stuff, about, like, the name. He was involved in every decision of his products mm-hmm. down for the box. He's like, well, then he realized that he was the brand. He started putting his name on everything. It was always, instead of being Ronco, it was Ron Peels. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was like, well, I'll put my face on the box. So when people walk by in the store, they don't even know what it is. And they'll just buy it because it's Ron. It's like, oh, I saw a picture of Ron. So I paid $129.62 for this. The snowball was rolling. Yep. And here's snowball's right. Because this is where everything goes capitalist, right? Because we're looking at it like this is so entertaining, right? Like Arnold's so entertaining. Jan's so entertaining. Nancy's so entertaining. Like these are great personalities. Workman-like people. But like Ron is going to destroy all of them because he's hypnotizing people. For some reason, yeah. he's that much better at it. Like, like, it weirded me out, but when the guy starts talking about his lip-smacking technique and how women loved it, my Popeil pasta, <laughs> pasta maker, in his eyes, he's got these cult beats. leader kind of thing, and I don't mean that right. as a joke. I mean, he's kind of hypnotizing. He's hypnotizing well, like a snake, and maybe that just gets that many more people to your pitch to your infomercial than anybody else. And that's just the way it is. Yes. So this is the second time you've brought up hypnotism and it's very important to mention, right? So it's one of the things that's important for people who are excellent orators, for people who are incredible salespeople, like some of these pitch men, Ron Ron included and probably chief among them. And also some of those vaunted cult leaders is there is modes of speaking that get you in somewhat of a trance. It's almost like echolalia where you can just kind of follow along. And like with the yeah. Jerry Muscuzzi pitch too, the first thing he did was talking about the pick up the pace is made by Purina. It's your dogs, your goats, your chickens, your pigs, like the ba 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 ba. And like, you're just yeah. like bouncing with him as he talks and then slides the typewriter back and you start bouncing with him again. You keep going across. It's really that manner of speaking. And also the guys doing the chamois at the end too. It's the same thing. Like there's definitely like a a metered tone. You fall into it and you kind of just start nodding along with it. It's very rhythmic. You're nodding along. You're getting pulled into it. Whether or not you're paying attention to the message, the message is getting in via the path that's being created by you being involved in the experience. And that's a lot of what these guys do 
like I said, it's a combination of there's definitely innate skill and ability to do it. And then you add in the reps that it takes to be at this level of it. Mm -hmm. It would be hard to eat breakfast with a guy like that because I don't think I would pick up my fork. I'd just be staring at them talking the whole time. Like if I was at breakfast with Jerry Muscuzzi, yeah, he's just like, so I got the almond over here. I got the sausage. I like to have it be a little bit extra well done because I like the crisp bun. Now, as crispy as my bacon. Bacon's a meat that I want to have extra well done unless I'm going to have it on top of a sandwich. A sandwich, I want to have it a little thinner because I want to balance out the tomatoes. You want to have the crunch. The key thing about a tomato is how you slice it. If you go end to end, you go against the grain of the seeds. The seeds are going to fall out, but as long as you line them up perfectly and you stack them, you want to have equal size slices. That's when things want to have an even bite across the top. And the top of the sandwich is where you want to start thinking about where you're going to lay around. You're going to have chips. Are you going to have potato salad? You're going to have egg salad. Do you need a salad? Or is the sandwich going to take on the run? You're going to wrap it up. What are you going to wrap it in? Is it going to be something that you've brought from your house? And these are the types of things you need to be thinking about as you come prepare your order. And I'm like, yeah, I forgot to order. Like, what are like? <laughs> but what is going on is that all of these people are talented in the pitch. Like that has to be good. You have to be good at it. So someone like Arnold or something is like, this guy's funny. He's fantastic. He's a little hypnotizing. But then there's these anomaly people like cult leaders too. You know what I mean? And anybody, like any cult of personality is like that where it's just like, yeah, yeah they're also really good at this, but they're attractive in a weird way. And their yeah. eye contact is staying with me a little longer. And I think that they're attractive in some strange way. And I right. can't stop looking at this can't stop looking at this person you're yeah. forgetting about the market of all this stuff too like yeah nobody's ever in the market for a religion nobody's ever in the yeah. market for a fucking like <laughs> yeah. salsa maker but yeah. you're just like you're open if you're an open yep. drunk like cash loaded pocket dude just walking around to the big e yeah he's like i'm spending 200 bucks today i don't give a shit like yeah right like, <laughs> it's Target. yeah i'm spending it all today it's captive it's a captive audience it's a captive way of speaking to Somebody who just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And it's not too dissimilar from the people who are actually watching with the phone in their hand right. at 2 a.m. when these things were at their peak. Oh, oh, exactly, exactly. I'm going deeper because we're talking about the guy with the beer who has 200 bucks. That guy's buying something from Arnold. There is oh, yeah, a yeah. population of weird people, for Ron, probably women, and most of them probably women, that right. are there to be there. You know, just like they're there, whatever lonely person is there to watch an infomercial. I don't mean to give too much away about my grandmother, but she, I mean, she lost her husband early and like lived many years without him. Was it was obsessed with QVC. Yeah. I talked about her before, like they knew her name at some airport That's in Chicago, so I think, which is crazy. But <laughs> she like, had her own terminal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the Pauline. Whoa! Pauline's plane. <laughs> no, but there's some feeding on people that are just like open they're mm -hmm. so open yeah. and yeah. and when you're drunk in the middle of the night and you see the magic bullet it's like why not fuck around with this infomercial yep oh yeah because like oh. who's watching this at 2 a.m i'm getting hypnotized we got to pull out of this oh boy the television and the death of the pitch it's kind of bummer i know art lost i know i was thinking it about a little it. bit real i was like oh i was i was in the surreal world of infomercial <laughs> directors like dave fucked yeah. it all up you dga boys yeah. fucking blog boys <laughs> <laughs> so the guys, the professionals are saying it. The good old days are over. And this came out in 1999. So you got to assume that they're really over. Did TV devour the beauty of the charming hucksters that we've seen? I think certainly, right? Adapted. Yeah. I don't think it was TV. I think online shopping has far more devoured mm -hmm. the market for these guys than TV. Yeah. Because I think that TV was there for the greats. Like if you if you passed every level, then you got your shot at TV. 
go get him, Tiger. You know what? You're in the big leagues now. Like, very few make it. But listen, hey, there's still a million other fairs. There's a million other products. There's a lot of tables to eat at. You can still make a living. You got to do the 10 to 10. You mm-hmm. got to lug your shit. You got you to yeah. get off a nut. But yeah. <laughs> it's there. Just the concept, mindset, and ability to get anything instantly People don't need to be sold, and they're also not in an environment to be sold anymore either. Yeah. For the most part. I think that's the market that's been shaved off, is the less vulnerable now have a place to go. Everything is way more point and shoot. I think that openness has been what's been reduced. So the TV part, I think, is still there. Like, QVC is still killing it. Yeah. The new version of the pitch man is the recommendations bar in Amazon. It's all the data targeting you for your yeah. interests. Yeah. That's what's killed the guys selling knives and cutting up hammers at fairs mm-hmm. way more than Ron ever did. Because yeah. I still think the big leagues are there. I still think that still exists. I think the miners got obliterated. <laughs> it's like the Big E still exists. Caitlin and yeah. I go every year when there's not a pandemic. It's jammed. Oh, you know, there's people there and these guys are there and they're selling yeah. weird QVC products. So it's kind of where we're at in the economy too, which is like all malls are dead. And then you read about these weird things that's like, well, actually in certain places, right. that's where people buy things. Yeah. They're thriving <laughs> yeah. in certain areas. It's, I think you're right. It's like, yeah, still pockets. It's not going away. It's definitely morphing. I have an interesting thing, though. Like, social media, I don't think they're pitching. Like, I don't think you're getting pitches on Instagram, but, like, influencers, you can sort of make that argument. That's killing it more than than TV. I think so, too. To me, that goes in that same bucket of, based on your metadata, being targeted by these people and products. I think those are very closely linked. This is what's eating it. This is what's killing the middle class of pitchmen, which, like I said, it used to be like, hey, if you want to be a blue-collar pitchman and pack your shit up and work those hours, you'll be fine. Where now it's like, I hope look good in yoga pants, man, because otherwise it's going to be tough. (laughs) I also think people know how to shop a lot better online now. I still don't do it. I just don't want to put my credit card information out there. I'm just terrified of it. I just don't want to. <laughs> you got to get LifeLock or something. Yeah. Future sponsor, maybe. Oh, right. Ooh. NAOL. No, but like I go online. I'm like, I need a knife. I'm just going to go buy a knife that Amazon recommends. Yep. Like I went on there with intention. Exactly. I'm still thinking yeah. people who are dialed in to a infomercial for 30 minutes and two in the morning are going to the big E. They are not going in with intention right have a good time man unless there's like a random thing you've been ruminating on i've done that before that's the only version i could think of are things like that where you've been thinking about something that you don't need but would like to get a deal on yeah Uh, and that's another big pull peel thing is never underestimate how much people want a great deal yeah that's why he is just like bam 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 you get this 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 tell him about the knives arnie those are the knives wow and just like everything flying at you it's like i like a deal right like (laughs) or think like (laughs) who does it slightly more targeted events like a car show and it's like in that car show maybe there's 20 to 30 booths of really cheap stupid shit that you can also buy wax you know like cleaning towels chamois cloths yeah all that stuff. You see the babes? Yeah. The <laughs> babes are back. Right. <laughs> right. Malcolm, you've got to try this. Touch my hair. I love that story. It still doesn't <laughs> make sense that he wants to make that. That Malcolm Gladwell hung out with Ron Popeil <laughs> and made him touch his hair. <laughs> 
I was gonna I was gonna say that Ron thinks you should make moist bread. That stuff still doesn't connect. Well, yeah. Can you cut the can with the knifey cells? The moist absolutely bread? right. Frozen too. Yes. Maybe we have been hypnotized yeah. by Ron. I have. I hundred percent have been. I've been begging to be. Maybe I haven't been because I wanted to. Bad. <laughs> You're number six that keeps getting sent away. He's like, oh, yeah. this guy's never gonna leave. This guy's amazing. Yeah. I'm his lure. <laughs> yeah. You lured he, us in to do this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Fucking suckers. The Dan's Ron. He sells the weirdest shit though. Right. There's, yeah. Nothing, yeah. there's nothing he sells that's like he invents it all. It's normal. I know. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's such a differentiator about Ron too, is most of these guys get hooked up with inventors. Like Jan Muller is not an inventor. Even the Morris brothers, they're not inventors. Like their dad was. Mm-hmm. SJ Ron's dad was, but Ron, he just invents stuff. And what the dog saw, the interview that it's referencing is, I think, right when the Showtime rotisserie was starting to go out. And they talk about this 24-hour block of, like, Ron Popeil Day on QVC. And it was going to be Ron and my daughter, Shannon. Mm-hmm. We're going to rotate for the eight live spots across 24 hours. And their goal and what they thought was reasonable was to sell like four million in twenty four hours. Like if anyone could do it, it's Ron. And Shit. Ron is so much older than I thought. Yeah. He started pitching in the sixties. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He has sixty years of pitching experience. I think his first T V spot was in sixty one. Satchel Page. So yeah. He was born in thirty five. He's a madman decade. That's crazy. It's a good year. Yeah. Yeah. I have a Bordeaux 35. Anyways. (laughs) He's just been doing this for so long that he's such a pro. And even in the 90s when that story is from, they're like, yeah, like he was a little bit ornery between like leading up to it. Like he's yelling at people like it has to be perfect. But it's it wasn't ornery because he's an asshole. That's at least not how it was portrayed by Malcolm Gladwell. It was like he was ornery because it wasn't perfect. Like the plate of food, it needs to have more gravy. This has to look more appetizing. The chicken isn't golden brown enough. My machine does it perfectly. You're not showcasing it right. And people are like, oh, this is going to be a great day. Jesus. And then the lights went on and he was Ron Popeil. And he sold over a million dollars in that first hour. Perfectionist. Yeah. And... They were watching the QVC. They have the monitors to show like the numbers coming in. So you have like the call volume numbers and you have the money numbers. And both of them, they said it was like a cartoon, just, just whirling. They're like, mm-hmm. and like it started to be a thing where like different producers from different shows start coming over. They're like, come here, like, check, look at it, look at the number. Like, this doesn't make any sense. They're like, he's only two thirds through the first hour. We're at 800,000. They're like, what? They're like, oh my God. Oh my God. And like, someone's Mm. like, he's going to sell a million dollars in the first hour. Everyone's just kind of like in awe. And then he finishes, signs off, throws it to, throws it to commercial, whatever, kind of like crumples, like, you know, like show adrenaline, show Ron was there. Like lets the air come out and like opens the door into the control room or wherever everyone's gathering. And they just erupted with cheering. Cause like no one had ever seen something like that before. Yeah. And this is in, this is in the nineties. Like this is him. 60, late sixties. Yeah. Like 40 right. years into slinging it. And he's like, no one Ryan, man, still throwing his fastball, still got a no hitter on him. Wow. And he had it. And like, they smashed the numbers. The fact that he broke like the million in an hour thing was like completely unheard of. And all these people who their job 
is to just run and support these shows and I'm sure are the hardest to excite group of people from a pitch or a <laughs> yeah. or a product demo. We're just like, oh, I could give less of a shit about any of this. And the fact that like jumping out of their seats, like cheering when Ron came back because it's mind blowing that he's still like just doing that kind of volume. It's just that big. It was Ron. Yeah. yeah. And it also answered one of my questions I had about the 501 Fryer about why it was a manual dial. Ron doesn't like digital dials. He thinks they look cheap. Reminds people of VCRs and the shitty clock that always blinks and you can't set. I wonder if that's still real or if he still feels that way. Because that's, what, 10 years Seems old? Seems like a guy who sticks to his opinion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the curse of being right, right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to see everybody he sold to in that first hour. Like, I want to just look at I want to know how many showtimes your grandma bought. In that hour. Yeah. <laughs> she bought one early and then she called back. She's like, oh, I got to buy another one for a gift. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. when you think about like how many TV shows you watch mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm watching all these great shows. There's nothing but great shows. And then you're watching football and you just see an ad for some crazy show on like CBS or ABC or whatever. Like and Coyote just, starring um, Michael Chiklis or something. Yeah. And you just go, who's watching <laughs> like Coyote? Who's show doing or? this? And it's like everybody. <laughs> Equalizer. Everybody is watching this. Just not yeah. you. You're not in the conversation. Yeah. That's like Ron. <laughs> I've never talked to anybody watching The Equalizer. Or Bull. Oh, man. You know? If Scott was still kicking it, he would have Equalizer season tickets. Yeah. My dad was the CBS evening lineup. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, did you see Survivor? I'm like. Yep. No. Yeah. No. It's no. It's 2014. No. Yeah. I no, Dad. I haven't since I I lived yeah. with you. He's like, oh man, the season's great. <laughs> My mom will do what? the same thing. She'll just drop right. it every now and then. She'll just throw something like she'll be like, yeah, do you watch um. The person of interest is really good. I'm like, what? What is this? Yeah. I always remembered one of my favorite things. I'd you know go back to visit at home. And he'd be like, talk to his wife. He's like. So is tonight is tonight CSI New York or is it or is it LA or is it NCIS? Which one? I'm like. Does it matter? He's like, I guess not. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love CSI that. CSI is Ronco. Oh, yeah. We figured it out, yeah. I had stock of the original CSI. I was an early adopter. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the beauty of not having cable or satellite. I was in on network television <laughs> by no choice of my own. Alias? Yeah. This is Alias. Some of it must be good. There's too much yeah. talent. Mark Helgenberger? Come on. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah, legend. <laughs> Kenton. Who was your favorite personality? Biggest surprise. Yeah. The one you were like, I'm taking them back with me. I'm taking them home with me. I have two. Arnold just, mm -hmm. he sold me. When I heard he picked up that knife, he never sold a knife before and he could sell a knife and just figure it out. Like it's a knife, you know, like, but he had the will to just be like, yeah, it is a knife and I could sell anything. Yep. I love that. And he was very sweet to people. And that was kind of his attitude. And I would enjoy a conversation with this guy and I would buy a knife from him. If I was talking to him right now, I'd be like, dude, I'll buy a knife from you. That's the yeah. feeling I got with Arnold. So let me take back everything I said about him, maybe on the Great Walk of China, <laughs> because we thought it was a little problematic when, when we listened to it. But mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't not problematic. But now that we know more about Arnold, it's like I actually do think it was ignorance, right? It didn't feel yeah. like at first it was yeah. kind of like are these guys trying to like be a little bit over? It's like, no. Like they would say the same shit at the Big E. Yep. If you I caught would, these yes, two damn. on a stage, yep. just, they would be doing the same thing and yep. they would get a ton of laughs. Yep. Everyone would crack up at that shit. Yep. Where when there's no audience to laugh at it and it's just that hanging questionable 
wording. And it's on YouTube now, like yep. this many years yeah. later. Like it wasn't intended yeah. for any of this. Exactly. It yep. wasn't intended for us to even make a fucking podcast to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were playing a different sport back then. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Nancy Nelson. Fuck yeah. Yeah. She is incredible. She's the Queen Bay. Apologies <laughs> directly from me right now. I definitely made fun of Nancy a lot. Did you? I did. I don't think anybody ever really did, right? Well, uh, I kind of did. So do you guys realize that I've just been right this whole time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you watched this before we did. This is unfair. I was right before I watched this also. This is confirmation of everything I've known, but yeah. Bring back the tape. But no, Mark, absolute pro sweetheart who's like Mm -hmm. knows how to be the number two. She's like, my job, and these are, it's not scripted. Like, it isn't and isn't. So, like, when she's talking about, like, I can't step over his toes too much, and I'm constantly worried about if I'm stepping over their toes too much, like, that is what she's good at, is, like, keeping up with these people and, like, prodding them into being, like, tell me the good thing, but I don't understand the good thing. Right. She's great. Dave, if you're directing fiction... Okay. Yep. And you have people on set and they're pros. And both of Arnold and her were pros on that one set. I'm speaking about with the chopping the bone. At the end, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're pros there. The way that they look at the director when they come out there, they're just willing to do this. And they're mm-hmm. willing to take criticism and they're willing to throw in opinions when they need to. Like she, to me, brought in this level of professionalism that I didn't see when they were doing it in Atlantic City. It yeah. was like free balling it, whatever you want to call yeah. it. But like when they're there, like they are making a production. And I just, yep. it's fantastic. Dan yeah. can probably explain this more, but that's probably why she was so good on TV. Yeah. She's a host, right? She's a TV personality. Yeah. Like you're like, if you're pitching this thing, it's like, you got to get Nancy. And it's like, oh, sorry, Nancy's books, baby. You better wait. <laughs> I hope Nancy made a ton of money because yeah. she's definitely the best host. Yeah. Yes. I loved her awareness of the job. And the role, I'm here to set picks. I'm here to hit wide open threes. Mm-hmm. Hey, when LeBron is going to the hoop, I'm getting out of the way. Like, that's yep. that's not my job. Yep. That awareness. And even the stuff she said about, I thought they were kind of full of shit. They're not full of shit. These guys are that it. in it. Mm-hmm. And even that, I was like, she's lying and I still want to believe her. Like, that's why she's so good. Is yeah. She's still defending these guys. Like, they can't believe all of it because they're fucking pitch men. Like, that's yep. why they're great, right? Like, <laughs> Yep. And there's no way that she doesn't get it. She's that good of a Pippin that mm-hmm. no matter what, she's like, nope, I ride with these guys. You're not going to get me to say one word to take away one piece of their credibility because I eat at all their restaurants for free. That's how this yeah. works. So, yeah. They hired her too, you know? Yep. Beats working, man. Hell yeah. I'm just jealous. Beats working. Who's your favorite, Dan? I love Lester. Arnold's older brother, Lester yeah. Morris. Oh, and nice pick. I was thinking about it. So when he was, they were playing the video of that, uh, the pitch he did. Did you catch the stats he gave about that? No. He said he was doing that pitch because it was all live. He was doing it 85 times a week. Oh, yeah, I do remember that studio. now. Yep. He was yep. banging it out 85 times a week. I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, dude, talk about reps. Yeah. And, it also made me think, too. I was like, is it the way these things were shot back then? Or is it the way that, that men were made back then? But I feel like every piece of footage from that time, whatever that was, like the early 50s or whatever, just the most amazing voice. Yeah. I wanted to listen to Lester Morris talk about anything. And I loved him like now just like sitting back being like, he's like those diet pills, lost 28 pounds, 20 days, full page ad in Life magazine. He's like, 
Yeah, I mean, weight loss stuff. Like, look at me. <laughs> they're just bigger pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love where he felt like he was fully happy and secure with like, and this family's like, no, it's Arnie. He's like, he's the goddamn knife. Like, are you kidding me? He's like, he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I was good. He's like, I liked it, but no, Arnie's the guy. He's like, and Ronnie, <sighs> you know, we miss. Ronnie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind mm-hmm. of the sense I got from him. Yeah. And one other thing too, just on the the Paul Peel Morris family thing, one of the bits from the interview that. Gladwell did with he talked to he met with Arnold and went to the cemetery and went to the family plot and they were talking about Ronnie Mm -hmm. and Arnold said don't think you'll ever find Ron here I don't think so Uh, and it's one of the phrases that has stuck with me from reading and listening to that book and that section on Ron Ron is from them He's not of them. Yeah. And that's the difference. Mm -hmm. They're from the same cloth. They do so much of the same things. But that's what happens when you just let a child raise itself, right? Like, of course, it's not going to have familial associations. These are just other guys I pitch with. Have a child raise itself and then go into business with them. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you thinking business is going to bring you together? Yeah. Right. It's just weird because they're in the same game. That's the really weird thing. I know. But that's the thing. That's the from them, not yeah. of them things. Like, yeah, they're from yeah. the same place. They do the same stuff. But like, Ron's not going to, you know, when they were all still around, that he wasn't going to a Morris family barbecue. I was like, no. Yeah. That would be just as strange to him as going to a cookout at Joe Fowler's house, right? Like, mm-hmm. No. Well, you just brought up my favorite. Of course. Who? Okay, I can defend myself because Joe was my favorite before this. Yeah, we've been a pro Joe podcast. I'm I'm mm-hmm. glad that the record will bear that out. And, and Dave, you bought a lot of Joe mm-hmm. stock early on, mm-hmm. and I think that yeah, you just keep getting rewarded the more yeah. the more you. I've upvoted him on this one too. Like, and I I've already liked him. Yep, so yeah. great. We gotta do that one, the Handy Chef one. He was prepping for in this. It's so good. It was so good because the obvious thing is that we're so used to his pitch style and his his on air persona. <laughs> Which is so great and goofy. And then you were like, because we made jokes about this. Where we were like, he's probably really fun to have a beer with like after the show. He looks like a really yeah. nice guy. And then cut to the behind the scenes in this where his voice is completely different. And he's like totally engaged and seems like he's the coolest fucking dude in the, in the room. Mm-hmm. Where he's yeah. just like pointing out yep. what's going wrong. He's a total pro. And I was like, I was in love. And now it's just, now it's never going to end. And you saw his prep. Yep. And like everybody else. Oh, that was so good. It's so great when you see somebody's prep because you're like, oh, they care. Mm. Opposed to like, they're not just like, okay, when do I go on sort of thing. And like, there's a bit of Nancy that she doesn't need to prep because she's just great as her character. Part of her job is to... Is not being prepped, right? Is not... Is right. Reality. Is to appear to be like the voice of the person at home. Oh, what are we... What are we doing? Yeah. That sort of stuff. And... Sorry, just while we're on Nancy, when he didn't cut through the bone in the steak and she still played out the bit of, you cut right through that bone because that's what was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And then doesn't she go like, we didn't cut through it. What are we doing? And then she fixed the steak. Yeah. She's yeah. like, we can just fix it right there. And I was just like, yeah. wow. Wow. Yeah. You're not looking to somebody in the crew to be like, you got another steak? Like, how are we fixing this? She's fixing it. And she's just like, Because that's yeah. what she does. Yeah. She was my second favorite in the dive. That part of it was so good. I love that where the knife doesn't go through. She acts out the whole bit. Mm. It comes back. And then just, <laughs> I think that was the only time I rewound it on my first watch. I was like, because I was looking at it and listening to the words. I'm like, but he didn't cut through it. God, I must not be able to see it. Yep. Watching it the first time, I was like, Nancy's credibility is at a million percent. So if she says it cut through, it cut through. And then they <laughs> they say cut, and she's like, it didn't go through. And I was like, what? 
no, no, go back. Oh, like, yeah, you're right. It didn't. I wasn't paying yeah. close enough attention. Like, yeah. <laughs> then he goes judo chop on. I was like, okay. Yeah. And let's not forget that I don't know the relationship she has with Arnold. And he's got, he's got the knife like right next to her. Like, right near her. Yeah, the whole time I'm like, I'm like, what if people are bad people, you know? And like, <laughs> yeah, not Arnold. They sold me. Those two sold me right there. I'm like, oh, these people yeah. just want to make some bucks right here. He respects his I namesake. Like he would never. He would never do anything like that. I'd go Joe, Nancy, just from the doc. Joe, Nancy, my favorites. Arnold is up there. And then my other big apology, Jan Muller, who I think we beat up. I definitely... Thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I mean, he hooked me in the doc. How did we miss he was in Vietnam? How did we not find that one for Veterans Day? Yeah. I feel bad. I know. Yeah, now we know. We'll do him better. But his fucking story, I just love that shit, where it's like, mm-hmm. he's the successful pitch man, you know, and he's like, let me tell you the shitty jobs I had. It's the hardest work I've ever done. I've done yeah. construction, done manual labor, done yeah. mason tending. <laughs> Vietnam was probably the hardest. Like yeah. afterthought, that's the pitch man, right? Like yeah. he knew up front that Vietnam was where the hammer was going to be and just walked you right to it. I was like, man. Yeah. So like the multiple rewatches, I started breaking down all these people were saying is like, they know they're on camera. Like this is a pitch. Because that's kind of yeah. what happens is you rewire your brain for how you talk and act for whatever you do the most. So if you're mm-hmm. doing this for 12 hours a day and then sleeping for maybe four to six, it doesn't leave a lot of time for what your personality used to be. Your personality is this thing now. I'm going to argue this, that do. the interviews in this were specifically really good. Yeah. Whoever is doing these is great. And obviously these people are ready to talk about themselves. I think them talking about themselves, as much as that is a pitch, technically, it is very different from them selling a knife. Right. 110%. I fully agree with you on that. The empathy there. They're telling the truth-ish. I'm believing it. Yes, I think it's a pitch, but it's way more intimate. Yeah. I'm not saying from an information standpoint that it was a pitch. I'm saying that stylistically, they can't help but talk like that. Yeah. He Mm -hmm. can't help but frame things in effective ways that punch. Like He can't help but do that. Yep. Even ending with a laugh. <laughs> Ours yeah. one was Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, shit. Yeah, it's a good story. That's what I'm saying. It's like, <laughs> exactly. Like your ability to storytell and message effectively, it's how you eat. Mm-hmm. And it's how people like that, they can't help but be good. This thing didn't come out in 1989. This came out in 99. Some no. of these other interviews were past the prime of infomercials and pitchmen. Like some of these people had nothing to sell anymore other than their story. That's a good point. Yeah. And making sure they got their story out there too. So they got to kind of turn the dial a little bit there too and talk about the industry and talk about why they're here now. And I think if anything, they pitched me on like, dude, I've been a little hard on this podcast on pitch people. And I've been a little too hard on the products when I know it's just trying to get it into people's hands and move on to the next thing. Well, I think that sometimes the infomercial is a little disappointing in comparison to the pitch guys. I think if like we sat down and we just watched 10 pitches, all of us would go, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty great. And infomercial lends itself to being laughed at a little bit because it's just completely arrogant sales. Well, right. And it's out of nowhere. No shame. Yeah. There is no shame. The infomercial is different. 30 minutes just beat you over the head with it. I think a part of that is because of, you think about the attention and the interest and what it takes to hook somebody walking by at a fair to stand and listen to you for three minutes, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone sitting on their couch who has every option in the world to not look at what you're saying, mm-hmm. to stop. They, oh, that, that was that a caveman? All right, I'm going to watch this. Was, wow. Okay. I need, 
I had to reframe <laughs> my thinking because I don't know what this is, but now I need to know what this is. You're, oh, it's fucking, it's a screwdriver. Oh my mm-hmm. God. Why is a caveman in this? And it's like, oh yeah, yeah that's perfect. Like that's exactly what they want. Right. Why? <laughs> it's a different sport as compared yeah. to what it takes to get someone to stop at your booth. And you say, sir, where are you going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, is he talking to me? Did the TV just talk to me? You know, yeah, right? you are not a TV. Ooh, yeah. That's it. That's what you do. Yeah. Oh, they, they, I think they already do that. They say things like, don't change that channel. Call yep. now. And, right. But wait, there's, all right, never mind. I wasn't going to go into the favorite items, but we might as well just name some of them. The glass knife. I made this up. The straw claw. You know what I'm talking about? Like that big scooping, big like monster hand that scooped straw or something. That was crazy. They sell a version of that in Lowe's and Home Depot now. They're great. The wonder scoop. (laughs) Never seen that. The wonder scoop. Yes. I don't have it that comes with the matching tunnel. Right, that he has to scoop it up into. Right, yeah. Like really two-handed. <laughs> the bucket the hand thing. That was great. The glass knife I thought was incredible. I was like, I know. that one yeah. blew my mind. That was great. Imagine killing somebody with one of those. No. That's all I think no. about. Sorry. It was like a Lord of the Rings weapon. Like the glass, <laughs> the glass knife. What about that flavor ejector thing? That was a simple kind of stick it into the onion and then. Oh, that was weird. Push it into the thing of meat. Yeah. It was almost like a, a like a syringe, basically. I think I liked that thing. Yeah. Ron made one of those, too. You know, I've let you guys steer me away from Ron too much. I think we got to get him back in the fold pretty soon. Yeah. And I think now that you have the proper Ron text, nailed it, <laughs> it'll help you appreciate a full deep dive yeah. into, into the patron saying himself. That's why this was a good move. It was like we put a new lens on things. Yeah. We're different people after 25 mm-hmm. years, after 25 episodes. 25. 25 feels good. Yikes. Yeah, I look good on 25, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I look okay. <laughs> I look okay. Oh, gosh. Happy 25th anniversary mm-hmm. to my beautiful wife, Mark, and my beautiful wife, Dan. We're sister wives. <laughs> couple of hot box of rocks. Couple of meat castles. <laughs> what was with the two Joes again, huh? Los dos Jose's? Sí. What do you mean the two Joes? There was two different looking Joes in this again, yeah. They weren't as egregious. <laughs> Tie-dye Joe? I was like, is he always shape-shifting on us? Come on. Maybe that's it. His outfit was awesome. He had a tie-dye shirt and like a windbreaker on. That Fowler pump-up talking stuff. I was like, Jesus Christ, we're the same person. Oh, man. It's great. He had the script on the plate, too. Mm, Yeah. That guy's great. Can we go? No, Joe's learning his line. Shut up. Shut up. Shut Shut up. up. (laughs) No, he needs 45 minutes. Joe, have you seen this guy? I've seen his writer. Don't talk to him for 45 unless you have Skittles, purple. Oh, okay. Yeah. Get it. (laughs) I know. It's weird. It's an Atlantic City thing. It's Joe thing. That's it. Fowler play. So what's the closeout? Good luck at, uh, good luck at. What is it? The knuckle and elbow? No. The good luck at your apartment tonight, guys. <laughs> good luck in Jupiter, Florida, boys. Good luck in Jupiter, Florida. See you in Atlantic City. Can we put Atlantic City by Springsteen on to close it out? Yeah, pony up. Sure, let's do it. We'll do our own thing. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get creative. <laughs> All right, babes. All right, bye, guys. Have fun to your apartments. Bye. Bye. Thank you all for tuning in. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, or follow on your preferred podcast medium. And for all things Call Now, visit callnowpodcast.com. And if you want to connect with the boys, you can find them at Call Now Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or send them an email at callnowpodcast at gmail.com. And if you can't fight the urge to pick up the phone and call now, you can leave them a voice message at 617-356-7439. And if you call in the next 30 minutes, you might just be the next star of Call Now. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you tune in next time to Call Now.
This has been a B-plus effort. We'll try harder next time.